about the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, today's sermon title is God's Promises Given to Us in Jesus. Um, so we're taking um, time to consider this uh, brief um, birth narrative in Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, it's also up here on the PowerPoint, but please uh, read with me and hear now the reading of God's holy word. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, this day we are so thankful. We are filled with joy. And for those um, who maybe this season, honestly, it's hard to be thankful. It's hard to be filled with joy. There's so much going on. This year has been tough. Or maybe this upcoming year we know will be difficult. Father, we can't all say that we are coming and we really have a sense of joy and celebration in our heart. But as we're reminded of the birth of Jesus, as we're reminded of all that it means, would you, Holy Spirit, fill us with a joy a joy that doesn't come from our circumstances, a joy that doesn't come from how much we have, but a joy that comes from knowing that, Jesus, you came to this earth to be made like one of us so that you would identify with us, take our sins, die on a cross, resurrect, and promise us eternal life. So this day, fill our hearts with joy, O Holy Spirit. Give to us a listening ear as we consider this passage from Matthew 1. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, a few months ago, in uh, early November, on the show Dr. Phil, uh, I, I don't watch it, I just came across an article on it, um, but in Dr. Phil, there was a, an interesting episode where there was a, a young woman, a young girl who came on the show, and she was claiming to be pregnant um, with Jesus. Um, she, she was claiming that the baby boy Jesus was inhabiting her womb. Now, what's interesting is not a single pregnancy test confirmed her claims, but she insisted, I'm nine months pregnant with baby Jesus in my stomach. Um, and the evidence she gave was, she said, look, well, look well, I gained 22 pounds. Um, I feel all of this kicking and this movement in my stomach, and so I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Savior of the world is living in my womb. Uh, and she actually sh uh, said this on the sh uh, show. She, she said, my family, my friends, my pastors at church, they don't believe that I'm pregnant. I know it's Jesus. I don't care if my family disowns me. It really comes down to if you're a true believer in Jesus or not. 
I don't care what the home pregnancy test or a doctor says. When I give birth to my baby, no one is going to deny him because he's my savior. Well, she appeared on Dr. Phil, and they conducted an ultrasound to uncover the truth, and the results were just as you expected. She wasn't pregnant with Jesus. She wasn't even pregnant with a baby. What they discovered was that the bulge in her stomach and all of that weight was trapped gas. Trapped gas. All of the kicking, all of the turning she felt in her stomach was bowel movements. (laughs) She had too many spicy tacos. But you hear something like this and you think, this is outrageous. How could this even be on television? Who for a second would believe her claims? This is ridiculous. You know, you dismiss the idea quickly, but it kind of makes you wonder. Kind of puts you in Mary's shoes, right? I mean, this is exactly how Mary must have felt 2,000 years ago. I'm pregnant, but I'm a virgin. Not only am I pregnant as a virgin, but I'm pregnant with the baby boy Jesus. I was conceived by the Holy Spirit. God is living in my stomach. Now, the birth of Jesus, it's truly a miracle. You know, all of these claims of the Bible, they were true. We need to be amazed at it. We need to hear these stories and look at God in wonder. But I think what's happened is that we've become so preoccupied with the birth narrative itself that we often forget why was it necessary that Jesus was born. Why did the virgin need to give birth? Why did God need to come in the flesh? Why must Christianity hold to this pretty much scientific impossibility and believe it not as a secondary or tertiary concern, but actually we need to hold it as a core tenet of our Christian faith, a core doctrine of what we believe. Why is that the case? And as we consider this passage in Matthew 1, I want to focus on two things. There are two reasons I think this is important for us. Because as we read this birth narrative, it promises to us at least two things. At least two things. First, we learn that the birth of Jesus means that God is for us. And second, that the birth of Jesus means God is with us. Those are the two promises that we can hold on to from Christmas or from this birth narrative. For anybody who's searching, you know, I prayed because I've come to realize that Christmas for many is not a joyful time. It's the end of the year, everyone is so festive, and sometimes you feel most lonely when people are with family, when everyone's having fun and smiling, and maybe you just are reminded maybe of the hard and difficult year you've had. You're reminded of, you know, what's coming up. Another year. You're lost, you're confused. Well, I want to say this. Christmas, the birth of Jesus, what we're celebrating today, it offers you two things. The promise that God is for you and the promise that God is with you. That's our gospel truth, that one sentence summary. The gospel truth is this. The birth of our Savior means God is for you and God is with you. So let's take that in order. The first promise is God is for us. Look with me, please, at verse 18. The narrative starts like this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just and just man and unwilling to put her to shame, re- resolved to divorce her quietly. So you can imagine the scene, right? 
Joseph is very excited. He's betrothed to this beautiful uh, woman, Mary. And as the wedding day draws nearer and nearer, Mary's baby bump begins to show. And it wasn't much at first, but it soon becomes clear she's pregnant. Her body is showing the changes. Joseph, you know, I can just imagine the awkwardness of the conversation. Oh, Mary, you know, what's going on? And she can't explain it. I mean, the best answer is, I promise, I didn't do anything. I think it's the Holy Spirit. And Joseph goes, you know, it says here he's a just man. He's unwilling to put her to shame. Okay. Well, I wish you two the best. I, um, I hope you guys live heavily, you know, happily ever after. And he's contemplating this. And, and then one night, he has a dream, and an angel of the Lord shows up. And he assures him that this baby is actually from the Holy Spirit. It really is a miracle birth. But here's what, what I want to draw your attention to. The angel doesn't just announce that the miracle has taken place or is taking place and then leaves. He actually explains the significance of the miracle. Because Christmas isn't just the fact that Jesus was born. It's why he was born. And so the angel says to Joseph in verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the significance of the name, Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save people from their sins. Now, here's what's interesting. In the time of the Bible, fathers had the right to name their children. And names back then had much more significance than they do now. So if you think about the way you named your children or what you want to name your future children, you know, does it have a, a real uh, historical or theological significance? You know, when I say my name's Andrew, people are like, oh, that's a great Christian name. He was, um, he was a disciple, and, you know, in John, he actually goes, and his brother's Peter, and he shares the gospel, and he says, come, why don't you meet, you know, Andrew, that's such a good biblical name. You know why my name's Andrew? Because my parents, when my mom found out she was pregnant, went to her pastor and said, we're having a boy, what should, what should we name him? And the pastor said, well, Andrew's a good name, <laughs> and Alexander's a good name. And my parents were driving home, and they were like, we really don't like Alexander. Andrew will do. <laughs> and that's why I am, there's, there's nothing significant to it. There's no meaning. But if you read the Bible, people with names... All of these, there's, there's huge meanings behind these names. There's theological significance behind these names. And so fathers would name their child, and it was a very important responsibility they have. But in this text, Joseph, who will be the father of Jesus, doesn't get the writer, doesn't get the chance to name the child. And it almost seems unfair because it's Joseph who's going to raise Jesus and who's going to teach him, you know, Hebrew and Aramaic and who's going to help him and teach him how to do carpentry. But he doesn't get the right to name Jesus, which actually hints at a deeper truth. And that truth is this, that God assigns a name because God is actually the father of his child. This child is the son of God. And so when God decides the name. The name Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. And Joshua means Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. And so God names this child Jesus 
Because his name will contain his mission to save people from their sins. The reason Jesus was born, the reason he was named was so that he would come and he would save his people. Now at this time, they didn't yet know that it would be through a death on the cross. But think about this. Jesus was born to die. He was born so that he could substitute himself on the cross in our place so that we can be saved. And that's a pretty bleak picture on such a joyful day. Jesus came. He was born. Celebrate. Well, mommy and daddy, why was Jesus born? So he would die on a cross for your sins. What a bleak picture, but it actually gives us access to a pretty big secret. God was willing to sacrifice his son to save you. God is so for you and not against you that if it meant subjecting his son to the humiliation of the divine taking on human nature, if it meant forsaking his son in his moment of deepest need on the cross, God was willing to do this for you. You know, there's really no other way for God to convince you, for God to display to you that he is on your side than this sacrifice. I mean, what could be clearer? If God shouted it from the heavens, you would soon forget his voice. If God wrote it on the clouds, the winds would blow it away. So how does God make it clear, I am for you? He sends his son into the world to die on a cross. The question is not, is God clear about this? The question is, do you have ears to hear? You know, if you're asking this question, you know, is God for me? Because it seems like he's against me. Is God for me? Because it seems like everything in my life is not going my way. Christmas reminds us with a resounding yes. Yes, God is for you. The gift of Jesus is that evidence you know, we end the year, and as we end the year, no matter how tough your year was, no matter how hard and difficult or how trying and pressing it was, uh, was no, no matter how you, you felt maybe like you were losing control, you felt like a failure, you felt like, man, I'm just messing up in every way, you know, Christmas is reminding you of the promise of God, I am ever for you, never against you. You know, when I was in middle school, I... Uh, started taking taekwondo in uh, elementary school, and by the time I got to, I think it was sixth grade, I had gotten my black belt. Um, you can be impressed. Um, <laughs> and I got this black belt, and I was with my uh, cousins, and we were playing basketball, and, uh, you know, we weren't very good, so uh, it was just hitting the rim. And we shot it, and it hit the rim, and the ball went rolling, and um, somebody, some neighborhood kids came, and they picked the ball, and they just started playing with it on their own. And uh, I was the youngest of all my cousins, um, but I had the black belt. So they said, Andrew, you know, go get the ball back. Me? Long story short, uh, I got beat up really bad that day. <laughs> um, like, really bad. Uh, I'll, I'll spare you from the details, but this is the worst part. After I got beat up, I had to get on my bike and go home. And when I got home, and my, my mom was in the kitchen. And I come in the door, and I'm like clothes were torn, and I, uh, this, I had two black eyes, both my noses were, you know, blood was coming out, busted lip, I had like three scratches on my face, um, and I come in, and my mom is, you know, what happened, and she's freaking out, and 
you know, and I just gave the most convincing performance that deserved an actor, and I told her, I fell off my bike, and, you know, I, this happened, I should have been more careful, and she said, um, oh, you got to be careful next time, go to the bathroom and wash up, and, and I, I remember this, I went to the bathroom, and I have an older brother, and he came up to the bathroom with me, and I remember I was washing up, and I heard a knock, and he came in, and um, he said, Andrew, what happened? My brother's about six years older. He goes, what happened? And, you know, I told him the story the same way I'd rehearsed it 20 times. And I told him the story. And he goes, stop, stop, stop. He goes, Andrew, you can convince mom, but you can't convince me. What happened? And I said, no, I fell off the bike. And he said, Andrew, unless your bike has two fists, <laughs> I don't think you fell off the bike. And I remember breaking down and, and crying. And I began to share and tell him everything that had happened. And you know, he was my big brother. I knew he was for me, and so after I finished, he said, you know, who is this boy? And I told him. I started getting excited. I was like, oh, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, I said, are you going to talk to him? And, I, and he said, no, worse. I was like, You're gonna, are you going to go beat him up? <laughs> he was like, no, worse. And I got scared. I was like, are you going to kill him? <laughs> well, I mean, what? And he said, no, worse. And I was like, what could be worse? And he said, I'm going to talk to his mother I wasn't as excited about that answer, but um, now this, to this day, I don't remember if he did or not, or I don't know if he did or not. I never asked him, but I just remember this. I remember laying in bed, and my face hurt. I had these two, you know, swollen black eyes, and my lip was busted, and all this dry blood around my nostrils, and I was in pain, but, you know, I just remember this, this calm sense of, but everything's okay. You know, everything's going to be fine, because my big brother's for me. Well, friends, on Christmas, we remember the birth of our big brother, Jesus. I mean, if the gospel says that we are adopted into God's family, that God is our father, and his son is Jesus, we are children of God, that means that we have Jesus as our big brother. You know, Romans 8 tells us that we have an inheritance from our father, and we are co-heirs with Christ, meaning we are brothers with Jesus. And so when we remember this, when we remember and on Christmas, we are celebrating Jesus coming to the world. Yahweh come to save. We remember, you know, that the Son wasn't sent to deliver us just from a bully, a playground bully, but he was sent to deliver us from the accuser, from the evil one, from the condemner. And so this means that you can lay in bed, you can lay hurting, afraid, anxious, worried, uncertain, because the world is full of it. But you can know that everything will be fine because God is for you. That's what Christmas is promising. The second thing that Christmas promises is this. God is with us. Look at verse 22 with me. Matthew writes this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And here he quotes Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The birth of Jesus, Matthew tells us, is fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7. And the context of Isaiah 7 is this. Israel is being attacked by the Assyrian army. And by this time, the Assyrian army is before the Babylonian, before the Persian, before the Greek, before Alexander the Great. So this time, the Assyrian army is the biggest army, the biggest empire the world has known. And the people feel forsaken. They feel like God has abandoned them because here's this huge army that's marching against them. 
And the way that the Lord chooses to comfort his people, the way the Lord chooses to promise hope to his people is to give them a sign. And this sign is a promise that there will be a son born of the Virgin Mary and his name will be Emmanuel. And whenever I think about this, I remember that scene in The Lord of the Rings, uh, particularly the second book, or if you watch the movie, the second movie, Two Towers, where there's this great battle at the Valley of Helm's Deep. And the people are so discouraged and they're afraid and the enemy has surrounded them. They outnumber them and they are literally pressing up against the fortress. And they are soon about to overtake it. And everyone is frightened. They're scared because they think this is the end. They think there's no hope coming. There's no more aid coming. And so in the midst of this hopeless and helpless uh, situation, Aragorn, one of the leaders of this battle, he, he's talking with some of the other leaders, and, and all of a sudden he remembers this promise. He remembers this promise, and it fills him with great hope and courage. And it's a promise that Gandalf had made. And he hears sort of Gandalf's voice in the background. And Gandalf had made this promise. He said, look to my coming at first light on the fifth day at dawn Look to the east. And sure enough, during that battle, right when the sun is breaking over the mountains, they look to the east, and there is Gandalf making good on his promise. And I sort of think, you know, God's people in the time of Isaiah must have felt exactly the same way. How are we going to survive? How are we going to endure? No help is coming. And it's the exact same situation, the exact same way that we can feel, and we often do. We feel like, like God has left us, that God has abandoned us. All odds are against us. And in those times, we need to remember God's promise. Except we don't look forward to it, we don't anticipate it, but we look back to it. We remember. That's what Matthew tells us. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. God's promise has been fulfilled. It's as if God is saying, look to my coming. Look for the light breaking into the darkness of this world. I will send Emmanuel, God with you. And sure enough, God makes good on his promise. For he sent Jesus into this world. God came to be with his people, which means you need not be afraid, for God is with you. But you need to understand how radical this promise was. You need to understand how radical Jesus' birth and the claim that it made, especially if you were a first century Jew, right? Because up until this moment, whenever God was with his people in the Old Testament, it was a terrifying event, if you remember the Old Testament stories. God showed up with his people in a smoking fire pot. God walked with his people in a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire by night. God showed up in the thunder. He showed up in the lightning. He shows up in a whirlwind, right? When God was with his people, it was always a big deal. It was a tremendous, terrifying event. But then you get to Matthew 1, and we're told that God didn't just come to be with us. He actually came to be one of us, that God is present here among us, that God crossed a huge divide. And actually, God, who is the author of the story, he basically wrote himself into the story. He didn't just have a cameo. He wrote himself into the story through a birth. He wrote himself out of the story through crucifixion. Why? so that you and I could stay in God's story forever. Think about this. 
In Genesis, when God created Adam, how did he do so? He made Adam as a fully developed adult. He was walking, he was talking, he was naming animals, he was working the garden. But when God sent Jesus, he didn't send Jesus as a fully developed adult into the world. He didn't send Jesus, you know, crashing to earth in some kind of space vessel like a Kal-El Superman. He was written into the story just like you and me. He was written into human history through birth. He was made vulnerable. He was made dependent. And this is the ultimate expression that God is with us. Because he isn't just present, but he is with us in the sense that he understands everything we've gone through. He faced every trial and every temptation. He was made just like us. I think Moses in the Old Testament, I could just imagine if he was alive during Matthew's time, he would have a heart attack. Because if you remember the story correctly, Moses in the book of Exodus, he asked to see God. He's like, God, I want to see you. Before we depart, I want to see your face. Show me your glory. And if you remember what God says, this is what God said. You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Such was the holiness and the gloriousness of God that if any person would look upon him, he would die. So God, who loves Moses, chose him as his great servant. God places Moses in a cleft of a rock. And as his glory passes by, God covers Moses with his hand. And just as he fully passes, he removes his hand so that Moses can see God's back. His back. And even then, Moses comes down from the mountain with his face glowing in joy and happiness because he saw God's back. Well, in the Christmas story, is this momentous, earth-shattering, history-changing occasion where the same God of holiness and glory and power now is clothed in human flesh as a baby so that he could be with his people. Really imagine this. It's not only that people saw God's back, it's not only that they saw his face, but imagine the situation. Those who were able to claim that they saw God's face, saw his face in a little baby boy. People held baby Jesus, and in his face they see the face of God. And as they're holding him, they feel how frail he is. They see his cute little fingers and toes, they probably smelled when he did his business. I mean, do you, can you imagine this? You know, they picked up baby Jesus. This was God came, God come to be with us in the most humble and the most vulnerable way. And think about it, years later, people would again see in the face of Jesus Christ, they would see God. At Calvary, mounted on a cross. And 33 years before, they were saying, oh, he's so cute. Goo goo gaga, they're talking baby talk to him. 33 years later, they're seeing the face of God in Jesus Christ, and they're saying, crucify him. Crucify him. They stripped him naked. As they saw him come naked into the world, They see him crucified, naked on the cross. They would beat him. 
and they would murder him. And God would come to be God for us in the most humble and the most vulnerable way. You see, what Christmas is doing, it's reminding us that God will be with you through all of the ups and downs. He'll be present with you in the good and the bad. Why? Because God was willing to leave the good of heaven and enter the bad of this world for you. All the lows that Jesus Christ experienced, especially abandonment by his Father on the cross, ensures that you will experience the greatest of highs, living eternally with God to whom you are now reconciled. You see, there's nothing that will scare him away. There's nothing that will keep Jesus away from you. If death wasn't an obstacle, nothing else will be. Jesus being born into this world means that he's not just a compassionate listener, but he's a fellow sufferer. He's with you in every season, every storm, every kind of suffering. You know, God with us means that there's no road that you walk alone, and there's no battle that you face alone, and there's no tears that you weep alone. Jesus is right there with you because he came to this earth to be Emmanuel. Now, as I close, let me close with a story by, uh, written by, uh, told by Jack Miller. He, write, he writes this up. He knew a missionary linguist who was working in a remote village in uh, Laos. And this missionary was struggling. He was translating the Bible, and he was struggling to trans- translate the word Savior. So we asked the villagers, you know, what would describe a person who, would, who saved somebody from a tiger attacked, attack? And, and the villagers said, pa. The word is pa. And he thought of it. He said, okay. And next, he asked, what would describe somebody who rescued a child from falling off a cliff? And they said, pa. The word is pa. And he said, okay, this is helpful. Well, some days later, the missionary was um, traveling, and he set off on a raft with two, lo- uh, two women uh, from the village. And as they were crossing this river, the water was turbulent, and the raft flipped over and the women fell out and the missionary jumped into the water. He grabbed the two women who were drowning and he swam to shore. And afterwards, the missionary asked the villagers, what word would describe the action of saving the women? And they thought and they said, that's not pa. That word is che. Pa is when you reach down to someone from above. Che is when you are in the water yourself. You see, that's what Jesus did. He didn't send a divine hand from heaven into earth to save us, but he entered the water. He entered the world. He entered the sin, the darkness, the suffering, and the chaos. You see, today is a great day of celebration and joy. Not because the holidays say so, not because of the Christmas spirit, not because it's a season of giving, but because Christmas reminds us that in Jesus Christ, God gives us his promise that he is ever for us, never against us, and that he is always with you in all circumstances. And so I exhort you today, be glad, be hopeful, and remember this day the name of the baby boy, Jesus And Emmanuel, what a beautiful name it is.
for he has come to be for you and with you. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I know um, that maybe I ended on a bit of a serious note, but Father, joy is not always lighthearted. In fact, real joy that will sustain us through the thickness and the toughness and the trials of life is a joy that is rooted, grounded, founded on deep truths about who you are and what you've done for us. And so for any of my friends here, Lord, who need that kind of hope, who need your promises, I pray that they would remember that this day, that in fact all of us would remember. We would remember who Jesus is. He is God for us and God with us. And so now, Lord, as we respond in song, O Holy Spirit, give to us a joy that is otherworldly. Give us a joy that does not rest on the things of this world, but a joy that is grounded in the hope of your name and what you have done for us. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now receive the benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus, who came to this earth to be God for us and God with us, and the love of God, the Father Almighty, who sent his one and only Son into the world, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, who takes those truths and fills our heart with joy and hope, may the blessing of the triune God be with God's people, both now and forever. Now hear the dismissal. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And go in peace.